This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is What I Did Next from ANT Media. I'm Malak Fuad, your host. You're listening to the Season 2 wrap-up episode. I want to start off by saying thank you to our guests who've joined us over the last few months, and to you, our listeners. To wrap up our second season today, I'm joined by my co-producer, Shirag Desai, to talk about the highlights from the last eight episodes and to look ahead to Season 3. So hello, Malak. How are you? I'm good, Shirag. How are you? How's Dubai treating you? Well, the weather is getting better, so I'm very happy about that. This is what we look forward to. Yeah. This is what we withstand the summer for, I think. Absolutely. Uh, but it's been it's been busy, right? We've we've had the expo launch in October, so it's been it's been really busy since then. Yeah. I'm dying to come and see that. Actually, it's it's supposed to be amazing. How about you guys? Yeah, Cairo's good. Busy as well. Um, lots going on, and. Um, yeah, no, it's good to chat with you today and have a, a wrap up of uh, of the season. So actually, before we get into uh, sort of talking about the wrap up and kind of reminiscing a little bit about season two, um, I should say congratulations, because what I did next uh, actually made it to Apple Podcasts Best Shows of 2021, which is an annual list they put out every year about podcasts. Yeah, I'm, I'm amazed when you called me to tell me that I couldn't believe it. Um, you know, it's a it's a real honor. It's a, a a big honor for 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 us, for you and me, and the show, and and it's a huge validation. Uh, we're on the right track, I think, Shirag. Um, you know, it's kind of uh, uh, cementing a little bit. Um, you know, the direction of the show. Um, it's uh, it's showing us that um, you know we have a great audience. We have a great um, listenership. And um, it's uh, it's just a great, uh, you know, um, way to end the year. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a podcast, as you know, Shirag, um, that, you know, a, a year ago was uh, just an idea. You and I were discussing it in very broad terms. And um, after two seasons, um, to to get this uh, recognition is um, is very special, and um, I'm extremely happy about it. Um, and also a big thank you to the Apple Podcast team as well, you know, because I know that they they go through all the shows that are out and they look and see what they believe are, um, you know, the big pivotal shows of the year. I mean, uh, and and they mentioned as well um, when they when they announced the list that it was about the fact that. Uh, they looked at shows that provided a sense of comfort and a sense of um, like a good experience in challenging times, which, you know, which the year was. Um, so I think it just makes that <laughs> a little bit um, of a lovely recognition. Um, and so, yeah, yeah congratulations to you as well. Yeah. Thank you. And congratulations to you, Shirag. This is impossible yeah, to have done without you. So it's a, yeah, a great you. team effort. What I want to kick off with is just kind of we, we want to talk a little bit about kind of the season, right? How we felt about it. 
So I want to get your initial thoughts in first. So as you know, um, I, I consciously wanted season two to be different to season one. And um, as you know, season one was very Egypt centric. Um, and that was obviously a natural place to start uh, with the launch of the podcast for me. Um, but as you know, um, the series and all the, all the podcasts that are going to be coming out of ANT Media are all geared to the Middle East um, as a region. So I consciously wanted to find people who could um, represent different parts of the region. And I think you'll agree that we, we were able to do that um, with some people from Lebanon, from Saudi, from Iraq, um, and, and of course from Egypt as well. And I just think it adds a lot of, um, of interest. It, uh, it shows people's differences, but it also shows so much how we're all really the same. And I think you can even extrapolate that further. And, and you know, people's life journeys tend to, um, uh, the essence of them is, is often very similar. Um, the, the nitty gritty or the details of them are obviously different, but, but it was interesting to see the parallels. So that was a, a, something I was very conscious of trying to do. And then I was also really conscious that I wanted there to be a balance of men and women. I didn't want to be just women or just men. Uh, and of course, a, a balance of, of uh, industries and careers and sectors. So that was a really important thing for me. And I actually went out and crafted it that way. Um, to have a little bit of for everyone. So I'm looking at it almost from a producer lens, right? And and I look at how, so we've done two seasons now, and I'm looking at the evolution of what happened between season one and season two. Um, so one of the things that I think came out or stood out to me, uh, especially in season two, was how impactful childhood can be or the early stages of your life can be, right? Um, and, and this is something I think it almost showed up in every episode, if you really think about it, although I think maybe for a couple it was a little bit maybe mid-age, let's say. Uh, but if you look at, for example, Fatima and Amina, who were the op season openers, right? So watching their mother be a single mom, launch a company, uh, it had such a gravitational pull for them that they both today run major aspects of that business today, right? Uh, you look at someone like Hassan Damluji, who, uh, so he was completely disconnected from his, his Iraqi roots. You know, my dad said to us, we're British now, you're British. It's better for you to be British. You know, just forget the Middle East. That acted as such a counterpole that the only thing he wanted to do was to find a way to come back to and then contribute to the Middle East, which he landed up doing at an early age, of course. Um, and then, of course, you look at someone like Kim Katas, for example, right? She grew up in Lebanon amidst war, and that became, I want to tell the stories of this region, and, and basically shaped her entire journey and, and continues to shape it today. Mm. Dr. Lama Sivaliman, right, she... She was forced to stay back, even though her sisters went away to educate and she wanted to rebel against that. And, and all of that shaped where she went um, and, and continues to again today. So I think that that's so interesting. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And, but I think you I think there's actually um, uh, within that context, you can even divide it up further. So you have how influential the family is on the individual, but you also have how in, how influential the environment is. So. So, of course, in, in Kim Hattas's, uh situation, she has both because she's half Dutch, half Lebanese. And that mm -hmm. plays a big role uh, in her ability, I think, to to look at things with um, a sort of a detached uh, ability. And that obviously helps in journalism. But obviously, as well, the war that she lived through uh, informs everything 
that she does as well. Um, so that's an interesting sort of, you know, duality there. Um, I also think that it's very interesting that we heard from people who had positive things to say about the influence of family. We didn't hear anyone talk about negative things, um, which is obviously quite natural. People don't want to dwell on the negative. And if people had a negative experience, they're unlikely to talk about it in a public space like this. You know, I think the one who came closest to it probably was Bobby, who, you know, acknowledged that his parents sort of moved him around a lot and it wasn't something he he necessarily liked. But then he talks about how his grandparents provided that stability and security for him. My grandparents raised me, um, you know, a couple parts of my life, which were the grounding thing. I always told my, told my grandmother, like, Mom, you know, mommy, if it wasn't for you, I would have chosen a life of crime. I would have been, I would have been gangster, you know. I think it's also a sign of evolution or a sign of dealing with it, right? So when you say that they they reflected on it positively today, I'm sure those experiences were and could have been very negative, right? I mean, to live through war, to um, feel so disconnected from roots, for example, um, can actually have negative impacts, right? We see that happen. Absolutely. We, I'm sure we, we all know people who, who are struggling through that even in uh, adult life. Of course. And so I think if, if we have people who are turning around and saying, well, ultimately it shaped me and, and look at positive. I mean, Dr. Lam Sinaman comes to mind right away, right? Because she was, she felt so rebellious against the fact that she was not given that the opportunity she wanted, which is she wanted to leave. Um, and she was forced to stay back almost. Uh, but today she reflects on it very positively to say, ultimately, you know, uh, there was good in it. For it, it shaped her for sure. Yeah. No, and, and I think she, she, she was always very um, uh, cognizant of you know, uh, why it was being, why she was asked to stay behind. And she talks very positively about her, her family. And you don't feel that there was any kind of resentment there. But I think the interesting one as well to, to bring up here is Prince Abbas Helmi, because, you know, he had a very, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, like he was wrenched out of his life at the age of 16 uh, and made to go into exile. And that's a very sort of potentially traumatic situation for a 16-year-old. Already teenage boys are, you know, not the most comfortable in their skin. <laughs> it, it could have had quite detrimental effects on him, but he's he's come out of it in a very sort of um, almost peaceful way out of that. And it's, uh, I think that's a sign of, of a, a very stable family life, actually, to be in that situation and and get through it and come out of it quite, you know, intact and still attached to your family and and um, and seeing the positive sides of that, I think is is quite interesting. When you look at the focus of the show and, and the reason we focus on these pivot points is because we think it makes them, right? Uh, it makes the people ultimately. Absolutely. Uh, I, I keep reading this because it keeps showing up um, as a quote, you know, it's like adversity is not so much about the fact that you will face difficulties, but how you rise up from it, right? And... Um, you know, I think Prince Abbas mentioned as well. He was like, ah, "I was never interested in politics. So it's not my thing," um, which could have, which is also partially a reaction to be like, you know, because he had he had seen maybe the worst of it. One thing I found really interesting from uh, the interviews from this season was how some people um, knew their calling, if you like, from a very young age, and how others really um, struggled to find themselves. Um, a very clear example is Amina Ghali in our first interview, who says that from a very, very young age, she knew exactly what she wanted to do in the sense that she knew she wanted a creative life. 
she knew that she, um, you know, that in a way it's so, it's so um, uh, liberating to be so sure of yourself at such a young age because, you know, you just pursue that and that's it. Whereas someone like Bobby, who tried a million and one things until he found what suited him, uh, a very different life journey. Um, then you have someone also like Kim Ratas, who from a very young age knew that she wanted to explain the situation they were living in um, and knew that the best way for her to do that was through a career in journalism. I felt that I wanted the world to better understand what was going on in my country. And I thought that if they did, then, you know, they might help put an end to it. And that's why I also decided to become a journalist because I thought, okay, this is my role. I have to explain what is really going on so that perhaps world leaders can bring this to an end. Of course, you know, you know, the war ended when I was 13 years old, but I was still on my mission to become a journalist and I pursued that. And then of course, Max's story, which, which is fabulous, where he's, sit, he's standing in Brooklyn looking at the, the docks, the shipping docks, and sees a ship going to, to Egypt and he just it's I mean, it's you couldn't write it as a script. I mean, it's just it's fabulous. It, it's almost serendipity, right? Like you don't know what you're thinking yeah. of doing and yeah. suddenly you're just like, and well, I only have a ticket to it. Egypt. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you can visualize it as he's saying it. And it's it's almost like a scene in one of the Tantan books that he likes, you know, where he just has to get back to Egypt and, and he and that's where he goes back and that's where his real life begins. Um, and it's these are the stories that are just they're just so charming, aren't they? They endear the the people to you and they make you want to hear more about their life. Yeah, and it, it becomes relatable, right? I think we all go through those kind of moments where we continue to reimagine and wonder if if we took the path, what would have happened? If we didn't take the path, what would have happened? Um, and I think it's also uh, contrast is always something that's very interesting to me, right? So when you look at, for example, someone like an Amina and a Hassan against each other, both knew what they wanted to do at a very early age. One pursued it, got there, is already there. And then you have someone like a Hassan who, despite knowing that, had to retreat at some point and say, actually, I think this is the way to go. Yeah. And then similarly, if you look at contrast, even between the sisters, right? So they grew up in the exact same environment. Amina knew exactly what, what she wanted to do and Fatima had no idea and was was trying. Well, I think I think she kind of knew like that Like indirectly. Was, yeah. Correct. Yeah. Indirectly. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's um, it was a very interesting journey of discovery into these people's lives because, um, you know, there were a few of them that I knew from from before or had read about them, for example, in the case of Kim. Um, but but hearing their stories directly from them and the parts of their story that they chose to highlight as well, I think is quite interesting. Um, Neda Dibs, of course, uh, from a family of merchants and textile, um, a very sort of typical Levantian uh, family of textile merchants, uh, although growing up in Japan is a very unusual uh, twist in her story. Mm -hmm. But her family insisted that she follow a business path in order to follow them in the business. And so she did it because it was what was asked of her. But she did it knowing that that's not what she wanted to do. And then eventually she got her way and stood her ground and went off and did her thing. And that's really interesting as well to me because, you know, the, the very typical of the Middle East where you, uh, as a, you know, as a child in a family or a young adult, you feel almost obligated to follow what you're being told to do in a lot of cultures. And I think, you know, in Asia, yeah, is, there's a lot of that culture. as well. Yep. Mm -hmm. 
Exactly. So a lot of these people went and did what they were required to do, but eventually found the guts and the 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 courage to to go off and do what they wanted to do. Um, and and I think in most cases, family comes around. They you know they see that it's the right thing for you. It's the right path, and and they accept it, and they see you're happy. So. It's it's interesting. It's almost the theme of this season is family. I think you know, like how it kind of all boils yeah, down. Yeah, there's to that a lot almost, of that. Right? You're right. Yeah. So the other thing that I wanted to talk about today, in terms of looking at that, is is a very specific word actually that came up on the show, and the first time I heard it, um, I it, I just thought it was an interesting usage. Uh, I don't think a lot of people use the word, and the word is chameleon. And, uh, you know, and it, it first came up during Bobby Jin's episode and his context was slightly different, right? So he, he actually mentioned it the first time when he was talking about his comedy. Improvisational comedy is not about being funny. It's about the character. So like, for example, my life is filled with these characters. So I can go, ah, it is not you, Kenyan, crazy, Bobby, right? So Nigerian, <laughs> Arab. English. Yeah. I can I, yeah. I do all that. Yeah, I just yeah. imitate. I'm a chameleon. Yeah, I'm just yeah. going in. But then he mentioned it a second time on the episode later when he was talking about kind of all the different roles he was doing and how he can fit himself into multiple things. And that has a lot to do with his childhood because he did so many different things that he turned on and said, well, I'm a chameleon. I can I can do anything. It's fine. Like, I'll go if, if this doesn't work out, I'll go, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go be a head waiter or I'll, I'll you know, I, I can do that and I can do this and I can go back to comedy and all of that. Uh, which in in and of itself, like I said, as the, the usage was interesting until we came to the last episode of the season and then Prince Abbas goes. I'm a chameleon. You're a chameleon, depending in, on where in, you in are. In France, I'm French. And uh, I'm blessed with the fact that, you know, I, I do I have this gift. I, I can feel completely at home almost anywhere, I think. And I just, that, that, that word just stood out for me as something that, again, not common usage, but... Slightly different context, but ultimately saying the same thing. It, it became about the flexibility, the adaptability. And I think that's actually consistent across almost everybody we've interviewed this season. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right, uh, Shirag. And I think it's a really interesting observation. Um, and as you said, they they all have it. And I think it's, it's a product of being of more than one culture. And I don't mean it in the sense of... Um, uh, you know, necessarily being half this or half that. But I think a lot of the people we interviewed either lived outside the Middle East or have connections outside the Middle East, in, in which case they've had to almost uh, put on a persona to be someone else somewhere else. And if you remember, Nada Dibs grew up in Japan and how a lot of the time... Um, you know, at there, when she was there, she felt like an outsider. But now, you know, her, her Japanese aesthetic, firstly, it infuses everything she does in her work. But it also, um, uh, you know, has a big role to play in, in her own makeup, in her attitudes and her, the way she thinks. And, and I think that allows you to almost put a coat on when you need to and then take it off when you don't need it, depending on the circumstances. Um, I think um, uh, the flip side, for example, Amina and Fatma grew up in Egypt their entire life and they don't have that. So they're very much of Egypt. They are very much, uh, they wear the badge, they wear the the, 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 the cloak of Egypt and, and rightly so and proudly so. Um, but they're not chameleons. So they, you know, if they're in the UK or in or in or in Dubai or in uh, the US, you know, promoting their business, 
they're, they're very much Egyptian women um, running an Egyptian brand. And that's interesting um, that they are, you know, they, they, there's a difference there. Correct. Um, so, so funnily, Nada Dibs was my 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 other extreme example, right? And the reason I say that is because what you what we defined just now is a concept of what is popularly called the third culture kid syndrome, right? Of being of multiple cultures rather than not necessarily like you said half this or half that. Uh, Nada is is such a mixture, right? So she's Lebanese roots. She grew up. She has a Japanese childhood, and then the U.S., then the U.K. She lived some time in Lebanon as well, and now is back in Lebanon. And I think it's it presents such an interesting thing because at least in her story, you see the whole range of the contrasts that happen because of it. So as you mentioned, she feels like an outsider, Then, but then she finds a way to meld. Um, and then when she was in the US, she was she was like, you know, I was living in the countryside and I was American, right? And I, I wanted to stay there and I wanted to be part of it. And then when she went to the UK, it was again a mixture where when she started designing, she started approaching actually and like looked for the Arab community there to try and reach out because that's where she felt she would see the synergy in terms of what eventually, of course, her her designs have worldwide appeal today. But uh, and it's so, so it's so interesting how not only can you adapt, but then how do you kind of create your identity within that adaptation? And and Dr. Lama actually uh, flipped it on its head in a very funny way. And it was a very sort of, um, it was an easy part of the interview to actually miss. When she was applying, because um, she did her undergraduate in, in Saudi Arabia, and then she applied to do a master's in the UK. And um, she used all the tropes that were, sort of perceived of what a Saudi woman would be like in order to get in. So I decided to go to King's before they answer me so that at least I can ask for an interview. You know, it was the trend. I played woman, Saudi Arabia, always looked at as being, you know, a uh, need support, Western world, Commonwealth, UK, Yeah, yeah. you played all the cards. Country. You put all the cards Absolutely. on the table. <laughs> it was very clever. She, she subverted everything that was, you know, um, seen as a negative into a positive. So they, you know, they, they obviously had maybe, you know, they wanted to diversify. They wanted to have a, a Saudi woman, um, you know, graduate as a scientist. And so she played all that up in the interview. And she says it, you know, laughingly. And, and it, you know, it, it's it's funny. It's funny. I mean, she's obviously, you know, very smart, knows exactly how she's seen and used it to her advantage. And I think I think it was really funny. I mean, I think the one thing I would say that every guest, well, I would say didn't have, so a <laughs> converse, but like the, I, I barely heard any stubbornness when it came to eventually adapting to the situations. And it's not to say that they didn't have a strong reaction when they were told no or when they couldn't do mm. it. Uh, but the stubbornness was driven in a positive direction to say, fine, then I'll pave a different path. That's important when you are presented with these pivot points in your life to be able to go back and say, okay, well, this is what's in front of me now and how do I adapt around it? As opposed to saying, absolutely not. I, uh, you know, This is the only way I can move forward. We'll continue our wrap-up episode as well as take a peek into season three right after this short break. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. 
Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome back. You're listening to the wrap-up episode of What I Did Next from ANT Media. There, there was also something I wanted to bring up, Shirag, about about the um, about the season, which was um, something that we didn't confront in season one, but came up uh, twice in season two. Which is, you know, we're not a current affairs show. We're not tied to news or um, or you know, our our interviews don't have to be um, aired in a in a particular. Uh, timely manner. So in some of our cases, we've been doing interviews ahead, way ahead of when they air. And um, two in particular from this season, uh, we did that way. One was Kim Rattas and the other one was Nada Dibs, both Lebanese, both based in Beirut. And both those interviews were conducted uh, before summer. So before summer 2021. And, um, you know, summer 2021 was a major uh, pivot in the, in the, you know, course of the country's history. Um, and uh, there's been a major uh, economic implosion going on in, 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 in Lebanon. And you and I had this conversation about whether in my voiceover that we that we record, you know, nearer to the airing of the episode, whether I should... Uh, make mention of the fact of what's happening in the country and superimpose a layer of like current affairs onto the interview. And then you and I decided, actually, no, we're not going to go down that route. Uh, We're going to remain um, much more um, sort of uh, faithful to our original um, concept and talk purely about their life journeys. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about that since then because I've kept in touch with with everyone I've spoken with um, and we check in with each other. And I, oh, I I still wonder whether in that in those two situations we should have done it differently. And, and I, I don't know about that. What do you think? A couple of thoughts, right? I think... Um... We have to, again, think about that that original mission to some degree, and I think that we have to stay true to that. Um, I think we are we are in a world today, and I think that's that's where this this is difficult sometimes is we are in a world where it's so easy to to almost knee jerk react to things, create statements where perhaps there isn't a need for one. And I'm not saying that they, I'm not saying that we this, these are not things we can comment on. We are commenting on them now. Uh, but I think in 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 the context of the show and what the show stands for, which are the personal stories of these people um, and their life journeys. Uh, I think ultimately, and that's kind of how what we base the decision on is: does it impact their story in a way that um, it would be it would be incorrect to to um, to not include this? And and as a contrasting example, right? Um, in during Kim's childhood story, there was a lot of talk about the war in Lebanon, 
right, uh, from from a couple decades ago. Um, and and that that was a part of her story. It was an instrumental part of her story. And and she had comments about a lot of things related to the political situation there. Uh, she's written mm. two books around these topics, and you guys discuss them too. And you guys discuss them specifically around, uh, again, the politics and the and the worldwide situation that exists in the Middle East and why it exists in certain ways. Again, you guys didn't get into too many details, but again, it was mentioned, and all of those things stayed in because again, they're they are part of the pivotal moments of this person's journey. And I think again, it would be an, it would almost have been. Uh, beyond incorrect, I don't, I don't know what the word is, but I think this the story would have lost integrity, perhaps is the way I would put it, if we had taken that out, right? And and whereas in these cases where where you're talking, I think they didn't, and that's that's what kind of helps us make yeah. that choice. No, and I, and I think that's where the, the the edits come in, and you and we have to kind of be a bit cutthroat about it, and we have to think we have to stick with with our original concept for it for it to to stay true to itself, and for it to to be able to continue um with with other guests because what if we make a call down the line where you know there is some something similar comes up but we decide not to include it so we mm-hmm. can't say yes to one and not to all basically so i i think it's the right decision yeah and i think also i mean you know i i hate to say it that way where there is space for commentary on these topics which there is, there are tons of spaces to do that, and maybe our guests yeah. want to do that. We don't want the show to become that, right? So ultimately, once we start That's doing right. that, then we might have cases where guests come on specifically to do that. Uh, or yeah. and that's not again, that's not something we need, to, we want to encourage. And again, this is not us taking away from the ability of the guests to do whatever and 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 stand for everything that they stand for on their own platforms. But ultimately, when that that's what it goes back to our purpose. Maybe the trick is to invite these people on again down the line and see if this actually becomes part of their story. That's one way of doing it, but you know, not. No, for and one hundred percent. And I, I would think that ultimately, if if um, if it does, as like like we said, as in Kim's case, it absolutely was. Then then it's important uh, that that it yeah. becomes part of their story, right? Um, yeah. And, but if you look at say, for example. Uh, in in Hassan's case as well, I think, and even we didn't, it, it never even came up. It was not just something we edited. It's just the way he told the story, where he just mentioned the situation and said, "Well, it's not comfortable for me," and he left it at that, right? Because it wasn't, That's right. Um, you know, it wasn't part of his story as much as it was just saying, "Well, that was the environment," and hence, this is what I did. That's right. Um, and so I think it it is a fine line. I agree. I mean, we we could probably debate this, but but I think on some level we that that was the agreement that that's what we agreed on when we were. Uh, when we were in that editing room to decide uh, how we should handle those topics. Okay, so I think let's let's now talk about uh, what's coming up in season three. Yeah, actually, um, uh, we're we're looking to um, introduce some new staple questions. Um, we thought that it would be a nice change after. Uh, uh, two seasons. It's always trial and error with these things, isn't it? Sometimes you get some questions that offer a lot of really great insight, um, like the dinner party question for me was a really fun one uh, in season one and two. So one of our questions uh, takes inspiration from um, a wonderful book uh, by Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, It's called The Tipping Point, and it was one of the first books he wrote. Um, And it's considered a sort of a a marketing almost a textbook at this point. It's, um, it's a really great book. And it basically talks about how small actions at the right time and in the right place and with the right people can create a tipping point. And this can be for anything from a product to an idea or a trend. 
And he talks about three different types of individuals. Uh, and he says that each of these types of characters or character traits um, spread the message of these products in different ways. And I thought it would be kind of fun to ask our guests which personality trait they most identified with. And it's, it's, it's a fun question. And I think like with a lot of things in life, nothing is uh, uh, all or nothing. So um, I think what we end up finding is, uh, you know, that uh, it's an amalgam of, of different things. Yeah. And again, it, go, it goes back to a little bit of reflection, right? When, when you look back at your life and look at the things you've, been, you've done so far, obviously there's more to come. Um, you know, how do you how do you envision that? How do you perceive that, as you just said, um, in in the way it goes? Which I which I think has been has been true of both of our our original questions as well. Even though we would talk about the dinner party as being um, kind of this fantasy land of <laughs> bringing people together, but it's like this little window into what they perceive they want, right? In terms of whether it's information, knowledge, whether it's fun, whether it's whatever. Yeah. So we have um, another question uh, which we're looking at is looking at the ideas of tradition. And I think this is particularly interesting uh, because of where we're based and because we're in the Middle East where tradition is so ingrained in our day-to-day -day life and um, it forms such a, a backbone to, to society that I like the idea of asking our guests if um, what their sort of family traditions were when they were growing up and uh, to ask them if those traditions are still around and uh, if, if not, or even if they are, if they've uh, added new traditions. Um, so, you know, for example, um, they might have grown up, uh, you know, having a meal with their extended family once a week. Um, I find that in today's world, that's harder to do. And I wonder whether people are doing that. And if they're not, then what are they doing instead? Um, you know, how do they keep uh, family dynamics alive? Uh, what sort of traditions are, are they doing? Uh, and I think importantly as well, what are the traditions that they want to instill in their own children uh, in this age of, you know, information overload, where we can all go down our little rabbit holes of, um, of the internet and just get lost. And, and I think it's important to, to have a strong offline life with your family. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm curious to know what people think. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes a little bit to what we were talking about earlier in the episode right, about how pivotal childhood is, because we've seen that across our guests. And we see that as a commonality, right, uh, that uh, those years, those formative years, as we call them, um, have had such a huge impact on, on how things have turned out for them or how they've perceived things and so on. And so I think this plays such an interesting part. And again, the last a couple of decades have seen this massive transition, right, from something that was very traditional, something where we had tremendous offline lives into somewhere where even today, like, and I, and I see that with, for example, even people of the older generation being so digital and have finally come around to just adopting it and living in their phones. Um, uh, the pioneers of, <laughs> at least traditions for me, right, mm -hmm. like my parents, for example. And then the other side of it, which I do see sometimes, where I see maybe not even one generation, but like, a couple of generations away or a generation and a half away, so to speak, where there is a sort of return, right? They've been become so detached and they have no inkling of uh, a lot of the traditions that they are now exploring it on their own. And of Definitely. course, access to information is possible. Definitely. So they've started doing and that And I think more more. something that strengthened that last point you made, uh, Shirag, is, is COVID. I think people have really had a reassessment yeah. of what's important and what isn't. 
And, uh, you know, we were so reliant on technology in lockdown, wherever we were living, um, that I think a lot of people have made a really conscious effort to get off it. Um, you know, I was speaking to a friend yesterday and he was saying, uh, he's an, a professor in AUC, and he was saying to me, uh, they've all gone back to full-time teaching in person and how relieved he is because he was just online all the time. Um, and so, you know, that for him was, was a big deal uh, to be able to get back into some kind of reality. But, uh, you know, it, people are reassessing and people are trying to, to go back to an authentic, uh, more I think more of an authentic life. And, and I think, you know, maybe that will allow people to create new traditions and, and, and start up, uh, you know, start uh, new ways of, of being with, with their loved ones and, and that can only be a good thing, I think. Absolutely. Which which is makes it interesting as we go into our next question, which is a little bit of an online question, funnily enough. Yeah, it is actually. So it kind of goes counter to what we were just saying. Um, but it's a really fun question. Uh, so, you know, it's basically posing the question, are you camp Twitter or are you camp Instagram? Um, and again, you know, like our Malcolm Gladwell question, you can be both. It is allowed. <laughs> you know, you don't have to be one or the other. Yeah. But but I think it's a fun one because I I use each platform extremely differently. For me, Twitter is is a much more political um, uh, platform. Um, I actually you know use it for news. I use it for breaking yeah. news. Um, it's more a lot more real time and so on. Yeah. Real time, and it's more about polemics, and it's more about you know discussion and argument and so on. Instagram is just like when you're you know you're you're in the waiting room of a doctor. Uh, you're in the doctor's <laughs> waiting room, and you're just waiting and you're killing time, and it's just you know. In my mind, it's a magazines. lot less serious. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. the equivalent of magazines. Yeah, yeah. It's less serious. It's fun. Um, and uh, and you get to catch up with your friends that way, I think, as well. That You know, I've got a lot of friends all over the world. And and this is a way of, of keeping in touch with them and their lives and getting a glimpse into what they're up to. So that, for me, is kind of fun. So following from that initial, are you camp Twitter or camp Instagram, we then um, ask the guests... Um, you know, if you could only follow five people on each of those platforms, who would you choose? Yeah, and I think it's it's a little bit akin for me. It's a little bit akin to the dinner party question in a way. It's not the same thing, of course, but but it's that kind of thing to say, like in your world or in your circle, like who are the five people that you want to keep and retain, or or if you were to start over, uh, who are the only five people you would really want to follow on the platform that you actually are gaining something from, or learning something from, or want to interact with, uh, which is very different from our general following, right? Which tends to be quite bloated yes. and we have random people in there that we don't necessarily even engage with ever. Exactly. And again, as you said, it just, it, it, it zooms in on their, on their real interest and, and, you know, the, the real um, heart of, of what, the, where their, their focus is. Yeah, brilliant. So, so that's what we have coming up in season three as a little bit of a twist. Uh, this is something, by the way, we, I think we would love to also hear from from you as you're listening to us, what your answers might be to these questions on Instagram. So that's if you just look for what I did next. Uh, we'll be posting the questions up there um, over the next couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, we'd love to hear how you guys respond to these questions, because I think that would be quite telling. I think that would be really fun. And, and, I, and I'd love to be able to, as we go forward, Shirag, have more interaction with the listeners as well. I think that would be really fun to get their, their feedback and, um, you know, any, any kind of comments they have, they know how to do it. So it would either be um, through the website, which you can find on, um, on the Instagram page or on Instagram itself. 
Okay, so that brings us to the end of this wrap-up episode and, and essentially the end of season two as well. And we're sort of pre- prepping and preparing and getting ready for season three. Um, I think we would be... Well, we want to thank you as listeners who, who've been with us throughout this journey. We also want to thank our sponsors. Absolutely. We've had uh, we've been very lucky that we've had uh, Marrakes have uh, sponsored the show uh, almost from the very beginning, from season one. And, um, you know, a big shout out to the team there. And um, also, uh, I was very happy that EFG Hermes uh, were able to join um, sort of halfway through season two. So I'm very grateful to their team as well. And I just want to say thank you very much to, to both, uh, both companies. As we reach the end of season two, I have a couple of announcements. Firstly, I'm happy to let you know that production for season three is underway with a great lineup of guests from across the region and from across different sectors and walks of life. So stay tuned for the upcoming season. The other exciting news is that through the ANT Media umbrella, we're working on a second podcast series. This new show will be very different to what I did next, but like all ANT Media podcasts, will be for and from the Middle East region. We'll update you as the show develops. And finally, I want to wish you all a fantastic holiday season. Stay safe, have fun, and catch you all in 2022.